Hello and welcome live from Linux, I guess. Uh, welcome to Gotta Get Out of This Town, a uh, 2000 pop punk and emo pop retrospective. If we sound, the, I'm Elaine as always, and with me there are two other human beings. Fletcher. And Adam. If we sound a bit loopy, it's because my computer just pooped out and I had to figure out how to record a podcast on a very old Linux laptop. Not easy, turns out. It has been a wild one, as the kids would describe it. Yeah, so my audio might actually be a bit off, so sorry for that. So, what, what, what do we, can, can someone remind me what we do on this podcast? Well, we cover pop-punk and emo-punk albums from the period between 1999 to 2013, as given by a combination of the Billboard music charts and tags on RateYourMusic.com. Which are notoriously bad, but, you know. They worked this time, I think. Yeah, this is pretty much a pop-punk record, although in, um, in a very 90s punk way, more than, you know, 2000. Way more emo DNA on this one. I would say more goth than emo. Like I, I mean, know. there's a big overlap between those two things, Ellie. Don't let me go into genre minutia. I've been trained in the <laughs> field of early 2000 internet forums. I'm getting my black lipstick ready for combat. <laughs> I can also do that. I, I was looking on radio music about something unrelated, and I found a really... Something that was really nostalgic for me, which is modern, but nostalgic, which is like people comparing artists that sound nothing alike. I've seen like this lengthy discussion about who was better between Purity Ring and Dua Lipa. And it was like, ha. That's a strange pair. Maybe there's still hope for humanity in the hellhole that is 2020. People still find time to like argue about this dumb shit. A lot of people have had a lot more time to think about dumb shit this week for some reason. Don't know why. <laughs> uh, don't make me think about it. Italy is rising again in, like, COVID cases, and it's just like, ah, not good. You know, there's been a lot of them over here getting a lot of publicity for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least one podcast I listened to this week has said, we're putting out our episode on Saturday instead of Monday in case someone dies. <laughs> we are unlikely to have to put this episode out early, thankfully, because we're talking about AFI's The Art of Drowning from 2000. Yeah. Yeah, that's the record we're talking about today. I already asked this, but does any of you have any prior experience with AFI and The Art of Drowning or The Art of Drowning and AFI? Art of Drowning, no. AFI, yes. With their one song that was popular on the radio when I was a kid, Miss Murder, and one other mystery song that I still haven't figured out what it is. I knew this album quite well because my younger sister listened to this and their prior EP quite a bit when it was contemporary, and I knew this 
specifically was this album because of Days of the Phoenix, the only track that really stuck with me over the years, aside from their version of Total Immortal off the EP. I would have guessed the album after this, because that was their big album, but you mentioned that your your sister had like a big gut face. So many things from Hot Topic. And let's be fair, AFI is very Hot Topic goth. Yes. Oh, AFI is sort of like the progenitor of like 2000 Hot Topic culture, I guess. Yeah, they were one of the big ones. Their look is sort of like the prototypical like Hot Topic look from the 2000 that you would expect. Molgoth, Molgoth. AFI and him. Mm, yeah. Him is sadly not on our um, spreadsheet. They're not punk. Oh no, however will I get an excuse to use the word hardogram in the middle of a recording? Anyhow, that's him though. This is AFI. This is AFI. Another like three letter band. What does AFI stand for? Many things. Depends on when you ask them. Although they did eventually lock it down to a fire inside. It's like IBM. It can mean anything you want depending on which department you ask. Anyhow. Shall we get into the history of AFI, which is incredibly boring? They haven't killed anyone. <laughs> like, what kind of goth are you if you haven't got a body count? Yeah. God. Like, I don't necessarily expect controversy, but come on, have at least, like, I don't know, a fight with your label, punch someone, do something then to make this podcast interesting. This guy just made records for a while. That's super fucking boring. Yeah. We can go over this one pretty quick, honestly. Not very exciting. Everyone meets in Ukiah, California around 91. None of them actually knew how to play instruments when they met and formed a band mostly because they were bored. Mood. Their founding members are Davey Havoc, Red David Payton, Marchand on vocals, Mark Stoffelees on guitar, Vic Chalker on bass, and they chose the name because they were listening to a lot of bands with acronym names at the time, so... AFI it was. Ultimately, as we said, they locked it down to a fire inside, but different interviews have them claiming it was asking for it, anthems for the insubordinate, etc., etc. That's so fun. What can the Americans, the two Americans in this podcast, tell me about Ukiah, California? Never heard of it. Legitimately don't know, but I'm going to do the usual let's find some trivia dive. Uh, contains a lot of large production wineries, used to be major pear country, and the orchards have been torn down and is slated to reopen as a composting and trash sorting facility. All right, that's about as exciting as the rest of this. AFI is listed as the most notable people to come out of this. Second place is an Olympic hammer thrower. Third place, Miss California 2008. And then we start getting real, real weak. Aaron Rodgers, an NFL quarterback, spent four years of his childhood here. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. 
That, yeah. That's super interesting trivia that I needed to know. Bay Rate, animator and game designer known for Gollum's facial modeling. <laughs> oh, he's also the nephew of Bonnie Rate. So that's a much better thing than looks like Gollum. <laughs> Anyhow, they have some lineup changes before a record comes into the picture. Vic Chalker walks off of the whole thing and is replaced with Jeff Kresg. And in the meantime, Adam Carson joins them. He owns a drum kit, therefore he becomes the drummer. <laughs> 92, they release their first record, a split EP called Dork Slash Stick Around, with a local band named Loose Change. Boy, talk about names that have unfortunate connotations a little after this recording. Everyone goes on hiatus as all the members go on to do things after high school. They reunite in 93 and play little shows whenever everyone was in town. Fun. But at a certain point, these reunions have a particularly successful session, and they decide, you know what? It's not like we're all doing anything regularly enough that we can't try the band thing again. So they leave college and do that. Nice. Yay! I wish I could do that. I mean, it was the 90s and end of history uh, territory in California. I would be willing to bet all of them were a little better off than you'd think. Oh, yeah, good point. So they start churning out and self-distributing a mass of EPs. Like, there's something to around a dozen of these, from what I remember. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even bother noting them in the notes, because it was just like, look, we're not gonna just list all of the EPs this dude made. It's just a lot. It's a wild ride, and this is the kind of thing that, again, these are so early you don't see a lot of this kept in circulation. You can find it out there if you know where to look. But they will be noticed by small California label Wingnut Records in 1995, and they produce their first album there, Answers That Stay Fashionable. They begin calling their sound Easy Bat Hardcore because... The Aquabats exist, and therefore they need to be copied. <laughs> I don't think I don't think there's a lot of connection between AFI and the Aquabats, but what do I know? I can absolutely imagine every single member of AFI putting on those domino masks and spandex suits. <laughs> that would be great. I love that. Uh, anyhow, I did listen to Answers That Stay Fashionable. It's fine. That sound take, you know, a lot from the Misfits, Bad Religion, all of the bands that you'd be expecting, band made of young guys from the time to have been listened to. And it's fine, it's very 90s punk. It's, you know, it, there's a couple of very Bad Religion-y songs on it, lots of whoa -ho -ho. Uh, Some Green Day influences in that there's a lot of catchiness. But a bit faster, a bit harder than Green Day. Especially the first records have a very, like, silly lyrical style that's not... You know, we we will be talking about The Art of Drowning, which is very dark, very gut. But they don't start that way. They start with very, like, silly joke songs, like I want to be in a punk band, but my mother won't let me, or something like that. <laughs> that's a mood. Mm. They're fine. I... I think this. I think the art of drowning of all of the things that I've listened from them so far, it's the best thing that they've done. But those early records are not bad. They just don't really stand out that much. Falling inside my bed, it is always in my dreams. 
1996, they release a second record, Very Proud of Ya, under Nitro Records' Dexter Holland's label, if you don't remember that name offhand, Offspring. They follow that in 1998 with their third record, Shut Your Mouth and Open Your Eyes, and in 1999, they start really getting the vibe they're going for down with the title Black Sails in the Sunset. Isn't Black Sails that uh, gay pirate show? Yes. Hmm. Okay. It's pretty okay. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, Black Sails in the Sunset is their darkest record so far. They sort of like start shedding the sillier side of the further first couple of records. There are some slower songs like Clover's More Catharsis. And yeah, it's pretty much a straight evolution towards this record. A lot more of whoa-ho-whoa-ho also. They really like that. They're still doing that on this album. Uh, One of my notes just says whoa-ho-ho times 45. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) To be fair, you are a Bad Religion fan and they do that a lot too. (laughs) It's true, but generally it's blended with more lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And this is an album that's not hot on the lyrical content a lot of the time. The the back half uh, is a lot clearer about things, but the first half is basically screamed at you, and I was unable to tell what it was without annotations. Anyhow, in between these records, Jade Puget of Loose Change, we mentioned them before, who at the time was living at Havok's house while the band was on tour, he becomes their full-time guitar player because their old guitar player quits. And Hunter Bergen becomes their new bassist, which basically leads them to the formation we know today. They haven't changed members ever since. You gotta hand it to a group that can keep stable for 20 years. When else are we gonna see that in this podcast? Anyhow, none of the records by AFI ever chart or anything in the mainstream, but they do start having some recognition in the scene. They tour with everyone. They tour with Offspring, they tour with Rancid, they tour with At The Drive-In, which sadly is not on our spreadsheet. They were never particularly pop. They tour with Danzig. They tour with pretty much everyone. They even do the Warped Tour because everyone do the Warped Tour. And yeah, so they do a bunch of stuff and then they are ready for this record. This is their history. Hell yeah. There's not much to it. Yep. They did a bunch of records and then they toured with a bunch of people. Then they did the Art of Drowning. And they didn't murder anyone, so... That we know of. Here's the thing. This is kind of unique because this is a band that's on the come-up as we're discussing them right now. Usually we're a second album in with anyone on this show, if they have a long career. These guys are not even going to break big with this record. It's their next one. There will be a lot more of this as we start getting into the, you know, the 2000s. It's true. We're finally starting to get past the babies and the hangers-on. The Art of Drowning is AFI's record with a budget. They're not just like them in a studio recording it. Their growing fan base basically means that Nitro is like, we'll give you money now. And and yeah, 
they they get they get in a producer. They get in Chuck Johnson, who worked with Karn and with Slipknot, which makes sense. <laughs> Sorry, if you say corn, I have to do that. It's a legal requirement. <laughs> no, no, no. I get it. I get it. Uh, but it makes sense. Sort of like they're going for a darker sound, so they sort of get someone who did produce stuff with a darker sound. The record debuts at 174 on the Billboard 200 chart. This is the first time AFI ever charted on a mainstream chart. And to note, they actually still don't beat NML of the State by Blink, which released more than a year ago, and is still charting at around 160 on that chart. <laughs> but, you know, unlike the Mighty Mighty Bostons, they're on a small label, they're on Nitro, so that's still pretty good. Like, charting with an indie label on Billboard, on a top 200, even if you're, like, very low on the chart, it's still pretty good. means that you're, you're having... You're getting up. You're climbing that mountain. You're having a success. The only single released for this record was Day of the Phoenix. I think the video is unremarkable, aside from the fact that it's directed by Mark Webb, who did Spider-Man, the bad Spider-Man, I think. Was that amazing? Neither the video nor the Spider-Man film, but yes, the name of the Spider-Man should be The Amazing Spider-Man. Amazing Spider-Man is a film that is trying something different, and you go, okay, maybe this was just, you know, getting their legs, and then the second is probably one of the single worst superhero movies ever made. Ouch. (laughs) I haven't watched the second one. All you need to know is that the film is bookended by Paul Giamatti, first as a tattooed Russian mobster who is stopped instantly in a truck, and then in the very final shot, he shows up in a biomechanical rhino suit, and you don't see any fight whatsoever between them. It literally cuts to black at what was the shot in a lot of trailers. Okay, that's a comedy. Right. Right, like, like that. You, you're describing to me a great gag in a comedy. You wish. I'm describing to you a movie that was intended to set up over four different spin-offs, and so nothing is allowed to happen in the film other than the part where Jamie Foxx does a dubstep itsy-bitsy spider. Was there a, a spin-off planned for Paul Giamatti as a Russian mobster? Because that would be great. Yes. There was going to be a Sinister Six movie, and a Morbius movie, and a Venom movie, and a movie about Peter Parker's parents, who were possibly spies, and an Aunt May spinoff. What? These are all real things that were in the Sony email leaks from uh, a few years ago. I would have wanted to see what would have happened with those. Like, I don't know if they would have been good, but I'm genuinely curious. Two of them have been made since. That Venom movie did happen, and it was pretty good. I liked that Venom movie. Morbius is supposedly finished filming. It was supposed to come out this year, but has been delayed heavily. Well, I wonder uh, why. Sorry, I'm just... Uh, sorry, Aunt May spinoff broke me. I don't... Hey, I can break you and get us back onto topic. The Morbius film stars Jared Leto as Morbius the Living Vampire. Uh, no. I ain't going to see that. Not that thing. Anyway, let's talk about a better band. AFI. Art of Drowning. I did find 
AMVs made of half the tracks on this album, so I have watched and listened to a lot of AFI today to the sound of Naruto, Hunter by Hunter, Bleach, and Dragon Ball. As it should be. That sounds very accurate. I like it. I don't know what was happening in the days of the Phoenix Naruto video, but it was fansub accurately, I guess? I've never seen much Naruto. This does sound correct. This is the period in time where this kind of band will start to, you know, be enjoyed by the kind of kids that will also get into anime. So, hot topic. Yeah. You can buy your Naruto shirts and your AFI shirts and also just some kind of weird hair dye that will wash out when your mom gets angry at you. My knowledge of a topic mainly consists about watching videos about it because that wasn't a thing here. Remember when I said my kid sister had a goth phase at this point? I'm well aware of what a hot topic carried. Cool. We have our hot topic expert here, Fletch. Oh, please don't give me that bad. <laughs> I can be your hot topic expert, but we have to wait until the time at which I was old enough to go into a hot topic. So like last week? Fuck you. <laughs> Damn. But with that, I think we're actually on to the album itself. These tracks are very quick, and I think we're going to start chewing through a couple of the less interesting ones. Like Initiation, the opening. I enjoyed this one. It's a dark intro. I mean, it's good, but it's just 40 seconds of instrumental that ends with some thrashing on a guitar. Yep. Yep, that's what it is. Tasty. That's the mood of the record. It's moody. It's mm -hmm. like dark, moody. It's a moody mood. Punk. It's moody. Yeah. Anyhow, on The Lost Souls, we've already got a pretty distinct energy off this. Uh, it's way more punk than we're used to listening to. Mm -hmm. They're... How would you say the vocals are on the first half of this album? Would you call these bad vocals? I think they're pretty standard punk vocals. I don't think they're particularly bad. They're acceptable. I could not clearly pick them out, and I don't know if that's the mix or not. I think the mix is pretty good. I don't know if it's the mix. I guess part of that might also be that I was watching 13-year-old AMVs for some of it. Yeah, that'll do it, Fletch. <laughs> yeah, the, the audio compression on those might have been a problem. Yeah. But I dig it. And then, again, we already know what we're getting into when you look at any of these lyrics. When you blink, do you only find the misery between the lines? Then take my hand and walk with me. Come to me, your sanctuary. Yeah, it's very got, but in um, you know, it's the kind of got that's angry about you know, mom took away my Nintendo, which is not it's not bad in itself. It's just like very teen, over the top energy from it. Yep. And again, they're. I guess we're approaching 30 by this point. Maybe they just know who their audience were. No, they were 25 to 28 because they graduated around 93. Huh. 
the, I, I'm just gonna say yeah, we saw some videos with Davy Havoc recently, and if he's like if he's like fifty now, that's incredible. Let me look this up. Like he looks thirty now. Yeah, Davy Havoc is uh forty four right now. God, I'm not gonna lie. These photos, dude looks pretty good. Ah, straight edge lifestyle and vegan. Okay. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, tracks. <laughs> he has more self-control than I have had for many years, I say as a fresh vegetarian. Anyhow, yeah, I like this song. It sounds like a lot like Offspring. It, oh my god, it does. It's goth offspring. <laughs> yeah, hadn't considered that, but yes, the goth spring. <laughs> the goth spring. <laughs> Can that be our tagline for this episode? Yeah, I was about to say that. AFI, the goth spring. But yeah, it has a, like, like good energy. It's fast. It's a good opener. Like it sets the mood for the record. Ends with like the singer screaming, "What have you done?" About thirty times, which is good. Like energy. That's kind of their move to close any track that they clearly didn't write an ending for. Is just to repeat something over and over and fade out or stop abruptly. You're not wrong. <laughs> I'd prefer the abrupt stop, but you know that's that's just me. But speaking of abrupt stops, how about the Nephilim? Oh, yeah. Again, this has a, like a slow, grungy intro into more offspring, fun, punk. I really like the chorus of this song. Yeah. I really like the chorus. It has sort of like this melodic line going in, which is, again, something that Green Day would do. But then immediately, like, tempo changes it and has like this hard, like, switch off. Like, it's just sort of like, it's a, like a bait and switch there, and like switches it with like a slower tempo, harder chorus. I really like the chorus on this song, it's great. And yeah, the lyrics are once again very on the nose. I am the fallen <laughs> angel, I am yep. cool and dark and moody. Yep. But you know what? I'll take it, it's fine for what it is, it's, it's, it's cool, it's of the times. I mean... This is an album where four different tracks are possibly biblical references, including this one. So, I guess we're going to be a little on the nose with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm judging this <laughs> album based on the fact that when I was 14, I would have loved it. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I mean, this is an album which literally has a track about vampires. With no irony whatsoever. Just like, aren't vampires cool? Do love me some vampires. So yes, vampires are cool. <laughs> you know what you're getting into when you get into this album. And the music is pretty good. Mm -hmm. And it works. Twinks of the night come to me. Uh, Nephilim is a good song. It's probably my favorite on this record. I really like that chorus. I think that chorus does a lot of work for the song. And it's short, goes in and out, and leaves you like a good taste in the mouth. Most of my favorite stuff on this one is the back half, which is not usually how this goes. Yeah, but you're like a goth. You probably like the slower tracks. I do. I very much do. Yeah. 
you are like there caressing your vinyl of disintegration or whatever while you listen to this. I have over five copies of disintegration. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> yeah. Um you hit that one harder on the head than you realized. <laughs> yeah. So the next track is Ever in the Day. is the first slower track and this is this is what passes as a ballad on this album I guess it's uh, still not slow yeah but it's the first one that's not going full on the whole way through yeah is this the love song yes yeah, yeah, this is Will You Be My Beloved, Will You Be My Beloved, yep. blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's a God Love song. Yeah, it's lower. Again, most of this record is, like, very fast punk, very fast, like, hardcore punk tending. Yeah, the first half of the record is incredibly so, and it just makes a turn halfway into yeah. more my speed. Yeah, again, like, it's sort of, like, slightly harder offspring with some God influences. This is, this is different. This is slower, this is like sort of like a, you know, repetitive goth track where you sort of like repeat the same like lyrics on like this, like, you know, this like slow guitar instrumental or like a slow march towards like the end. It's fine. I like some of the other slower songs better than this one. Yeah, this is not in my top three for a reason, but... Interestingly, this is uh, one of the songs that uh, the number it contains is not a thousand. <laughs> there are like at, at least two or three songs that say one thousand something, one thousand something, whereas this one says three. Yeah, three tears I've saved for you is a very weird lyric. Especially when you are slowly drowned to sleep in the darkness. A one, a two, a three. Crunch. <laughs> Mr. Havoc, Mr. Havoc, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a goth's black heart? Well, child, I shall toll for thee. A one, a two, three, three. There. I think we officially lost control of this podcast. <laughs> you thought you had control. No, that's that's Joy Division. She's lost control again. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I'm I'm spelling it out for the younger listeners. <laughs> there are going to be people who did not know Joy Division preceded New Order. That's a very specific <laughs> range of young there. Okay, yes, I suppose New Order is also older music at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was today's years old when I heard about this, so. 
Well, that hit me like a punch in the gut. Sorry, Fledge. Let's get onto the vampire track. Sacrifice Fury, it's about vampires. It's pretty good. Goes back to being really fast. Yet again, this is the 1000 one. Feel 1000 pains, feel 1000 lost. Yeah, I think this one might have been my favorite, or one of my favorites. I thought this uh, this track had some Dropkick Murphy's energy. The breakdown in the middle very much had a little bit of a jiggy feel to it. Huh, I can see this. It's really fast for being a track about being cool vampire, like I associate vampires more to the sound of the previous track. Genius also lets me know that this is sort of meant to be a metaphor for playing live or whatever. Interesting. I don't believe that. Vampires are cooler. Although I guess that works with the chorus. Alright. So anyhow, yeah, this is one of my favorites of the record. It has like a very catchy chorus. It's really fast. It's one of the faster on here. It has a bridge there you go where it slows down a bit. It's pretty good. I like the fast. I like the slow. I like the vampires. It's a good song. Also, we should point out, all of these tracks have been three minutes or under so far. This is very quick, very focused punk. Yeah. I was like, wait, why is this record 50 minutes? But then I realized that 10 minutes were added by a bonus track at the end. So it's a 40 minutes record, really. Give or take. Which is, yeah, pretty much where you want this to be. I think there's a bit of issue in flow, I think, towards the second half. I would have reshuffled a couple of the tracks. I think the ending track is, should have gone probably more on, around the middle because there is especially like um in the third in like in the back half of the album there is i think like a series of three or four really fast songs that start to like sort of blend with each other because they're very similar i think they could have been spaced out a bit i think all of the tracks in this record taken singularly are pretty good pretty good punk songs some are better than the other i think as a record this has a bit of a muddy flow i don't think the track order is that great I can see that. It definitely is split into two parts. This first five track, I think, are perfect. Like, not perfect songs, but perfect in terms of the order, how they open the album. I think you have a great opener in The Lost Souls. Nephilim might be one of my favorite tracks of the record, so it's great at being third in the spot after you set up the mood. Ever end the day slows it down, and then you go fast again with Sacrifice Theories. But after this, the album starts getting a bit meh for me in terms of flow. I think the first five tracks are a great, like, introduction to AFI, or at least AFI at the time. It's just like, oh, this is a very fast punk band with, like, very angsty, gotchy sound, which you see in Ever End the Day. This feels like two EPs jammed together. Hmm, I could see that. That makes sense. Considering how many EPs they've made, that might actually be what happened. I do kind of wonder, because within a few... I guess it was close to a year before this, but they had uh, one of the things that was getting a lot of airplay out here with Total Immortal Off the Last EP, 
and then suddenly there's a record again, and this is where you get that push. Yeah, that would make sense. Maybe they were planning another. And then it just got supersized into an album by the label. Yeah. It is one of the best things that we listen on this podcast overall. I mean, we're not at the end yet, but I think we can safely say that. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Very fond of this album. This was a good listen. Do you want to feel the warmth? To taste the life? To taste the life? I want to taste the life. To taste the life flow. Tasty. These lyrics are very easy to make fun of, I'll be honest. But I mean... It's teen angst. They are fine for what they oh, are. Oh, if we're going to make fun of lyrics, let's talk about of greetings and goodbyes. I could read any single pair of lyrics on this song, and it would be pure comedy. Enter all the monsters, let us twist another fairy tale. Go kill the lights, we'll glow till morning comes, then we go under. Just like a hidden sin, as I go under, please tuck me in, make me invisible. And this is the one that I wrote whoa, 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 times 45 on, because that's how it closes. Yes. I enjoyed the whoa, 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 whoa's. I'm just saying whoa, 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 whoa is a grating relic of the 2000s. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's fair. Like, my note here is like, this is what the gods from South Park listen to. Yes. In terms of lyrics. This is... That kind of, like, stereotypically, like, really, really trying to be dark and moody. The beauties are sleeping. As fruit just rots away, today go hungry. I mean, musically, it's pretty good, though. No, musically, it's fine. It just cheeps out at the end, and the lyrics are hot trash. I really like the guitar work on this record. Like, I feel like there's a lot of, like, creative, like, flair all around the tracks, I think. That's... Played with a lot of energy. The mixing, as I mentioned, I actually really like it. It's crisp. You can hear everything unless you're listening it to in form of a compressed AMV, early 2000 AMV. I think Wester is the one where I really went. God, I love this guitar work, but none of it. No instrument is dragging this down. Yay! No. I, I specify, I particularly like, I think there's a lot of, um, in this track, there's a lot of, like, interesting little things on the guitars. Nothing, you know, nothing particularly, like, virtuoso about it, but it's, like, as creative as you can be when you're making, like, a very straightforward, fast punk record. The mixing rides this very good line between being very airy and moody, but still having very crisp punk production. And I think it manages to do that successfully. And yeah, it's fun. It has a fun chorus. It, it's, a good, it's a good song. I just think it's a little pompous. That's all. <laughs> no, no, that's fair. The, the lyrics are... They are what you would expect. Even, even worse than most of them. No, no, no. If we want to talk about even worse, let's talk about Smile. Oh! 
Yes, it's a song about hating everyone. Let's go. song on the album and still the worst. I actually vibe with the song I Hate People. Did you see the quote from Davey Havoc about this? I didn't. Oh. He was asked in an interview about the Trek Smile and he was talking about, hey, do I hate humanity? Yep, sure do. There's such a lack of responsibility for one's actions in the world, a selfishness, and a great destruction in the way people live their lives. It's all instant gratification. And who cares how my instant gratification affects those around me, or on a small personal level, or a global level? The way people treat each other is truly disgusting, and we've created an environment through advances in science and technology that allows for a very septic society to thrive. And we breed and breed, and all the wrong people breed, while all the right people oh, don't no, want to have children eugenics. because they don't oh, want to no. place them in this world. Don't go there, Davy. Don't turn into movie, Bob. Yeah, there's a reason I turned into Nixon halfway through that. I had that quote because I knew we'd need it. Yeah, aside from that thing, which... Yeah. Yeesh. I like this song. It's the faster on the record. It's 1 minute 30 and it's about hating everyone, which, you know, I can vibe to, but not in the specific hating everyone that that quote. Not in a eugenics way. No, I hate everyone in, like, people sucks, and that's, like, a feel a relatable feeling that people have sometimes, not, 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 not in that way, and I think the song is fast and fun and sort of conveys that well. Reminder, the same year that Miss Murder comes out, Idiocracy is this track as an entire movie. I don't think that's a bad movie. I think that when you think about the morals of that movie, they're very fucked up. I think it's a bad movie, and how much you want to give it credit that the studio didn't give him final cut or not is up to you, but I think it's trash. I think that I would have liked the song as- I know I would have liked the song as a teenager. Not not the, listening to the lyrics now, it sounds pretty good. Can I, can I just read off the chorus? Because, boy, this is dripping. It's trying really hard. It's trying yeah. really, really hard. Go on. This is the kind of thing that if this band had been bigger, this would have been on a Hot Topic shirt. Overwhelmed with a deep repulsion for sights seen so commonly, now I have come to be the walking enmity. Assimilate into a culture of post-morality. From what I've seen, I hate humanity. How many breads have you eaten, Jojo? <laughs> I both hate this and love this. What's anemnity? Who knows? Sounds cool. I I actually do. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell me. <laughs> okay. Uh, an enmity is a deep hatred, generally the kind of thing that's on the level of, like, a blood feud. I will, I will start calling wrestling feuds enmities from now on. That would be the kind of thing that The Undertaker would have talked about, yeah. I have a deep enmity with Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I will bury him in the ground at WrestleMania that he may never reemerge with his vile beer spewing trucks. 
So after Smile, we have a story at three. Another goth grungy intro with a bit of a cheesy chorus. This is probably one of my least favorite songs in the record. I think they have the, the verse is weird and doesn't really fit with the chorus well. It's uh, sort of like a bit of a mess and it's four minutes. I think the last part is the worst part. It's a four minute song. A story at three is where I started running out of words to describe what I was hearing. <laughs> yeah. See, with the other songs where they have a slow breakdown in the middle, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. With this one, I'm like, oh, no. What? No, this song is already how? No, why? Why? This song wants to be The Cure's Lullaby, but it's not. It's another fast punk song with sort of like a rock vibe, but doesn't quite work and doesn't carry for four minutes. They try some interesting things, but they don't succeed at them. Yeah, no, like the guitar stuff in the back, like all the the, the music is interesting, but uh, the chorus, lyrical, breakdowny, no, thank you. Yeah, they have a slow bridge, which is weird. Mm. Like uh, this is the first track that I don't didn't particularly like from this record. Um, I don't think it's awful. I think if you're like if you're listening to the record, it's sort of goes, you know, sort of eventually ends, which is, you know, what sometimes tracks do. I just think that when you have to talk about every single track, you'll come to this one and be like, huh, this is not good. If you had to cut something to get this to 12, this is not a bad choice. Yeah, again, like it's, it feels like an unfinished track in some way, not in terms of production, the production is still very crisp, but it feels like something that needs like, Two, two more people look at it and change something in the songwriting and in the structure there because things don't particularly work well with together. I think the single sections are sort of fine. The chorus is a bit cheesy, but you can have a song like that. But I think it, they don't, the bridge is slow and does something interesting with like how it slows down the guitar and strips back the production. But when you put them together, they just don't, work with each other they don't flow into each other well so yeah feels like a song that should have taken a bit more work on it to make it really work but you know we have 14 tracks on this record so one track is meant to not be that great this is this is not okay go by okay go where every track is fucking superb I'm just very amused that that is your go-to in the middle of this, <laughs> the gothiest album. Well, you know, AFI's definitely no OK Go, but I suppose it's not a bad album. Ellie, what were you saying earlier about comparing artists that have nothing to do with each other? <laughs> what is the AFI, well, what is the 2000s AFI version of Here It Goes Again? It's Smile, isn't it? <laughs> I guess... It's either that, or it's the song all about nostalgia and looking back at high school, The Days of the Phoenix. 
Yeah, it's about, it's about the Phoenix Theater where they used to play. Yep. Is this better or worse than the song about nostalgia and looking bad at high school by you, Fix? I'm gonna be honest, I do like this just because of the fact that it's very metaphorical, nothing really gets into embarrassing territory. It's looking back in a way that's not, <clears throat> God, I wish I were there forever. It's, it's not. Man, I had some good times. It's not, man, I wish I was still in my room so that way girls could feed me grapeies. <laughs> <laughs> There are no uses of the word grapies on this album, and that is a plus. That is forever going to be a plus half star from now on. I would love to see an AFI song when they use the word grapies. That would be great. <laughs> I feel like even if we had a gun to their heads, I don't think <laughs> that they'd do it. <laughs> um, I like... The fact that they kind of managed to, like, weave in their, you know, kind of gothic aesthetic into this thing about, you know, uh, looking back, like, okay, yeah, it's a looking back nostalgia song, but they are still committed to that aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, it's still, you know, I remember when I was told the story of Crushed Velvet. It's like a very, lots of gut energy in those lyrics. Mm -hmm. Candle wax and right Words were as mystical as purring animals. Yeah. Uh, I don't actually like this song that much. I think it's... It makes sense for this to be the single. It's a more... It's less fast. It's a more mid-tempo rock song. It's more... It's a bit alt-rocky. You know, fits a lot with what was happening musically at the time. Especially in the pop scene. Well, not in the pop scene, but fits a lot in what the rock was showing up on the charts at the time. So, makes sense to make this your single. I think... I like the energy of the faster tracks in this record, and I think this doesn't have the moodiness of the slowest track. So it sort of like stands in the middle, where I am not really into this song that much. For what it's worth, everything from this track on to the end of the album is kind of AFI's new sound going forward. Yeah, well, you know, it's still not quite there, the... Next record will be very pop by then, but yeah. I'm just saying this, the less punk, the more alt-rock vibe, that's where they get to. Slower tracks, more work on enunciation. Yeah. I mean, I had only ever heard of them on alt-rock stations prior to this, but it was their later stuff. Yeah, they become a major band, but it's because they give up that punk trapping. Like, I don't mind that, I just think this is not a great song in that genre. Like, I appreciate the lyrics, like you did, but I think the chorus is a bit repetitive, there's not a lot of structure to play with. Again, there's some good guitar work, there's some good, like, drum flares near the end, but it doesn't quite do it for me. I think this should have either had a stronger chorus or a... Um, less straightforward structure for it to truly work, but this is middle of the road, not fast, not slow, not that catchy. I don't love it, I'll be honest. I think this gets my number two on the album. Like I said, this is the point where it turns and it's pretty much all catering to me. <laughs> <laughs> I have also been to the Phoenix Theater in Petaluma, which is, you know, the club they're talking about. 
Uh, the next one is Catch a Hot One, just makes me think of eating a hot dog at a ball game and it just makes me want a veggie dog because I can't eat a regular hot dog anymore which has been real wild this week when there's that news story about the Costco CEO going if you raise the price I'll fucking kill you about their hot dogs and I can't go buy one I mean (laughs) it's super valid though The Costco hot dogs are so good. I want a Costco hot dog. I don't know what Costco is. I, don't, I cannot imagine a, a hot dog from a supermarket that's good, but sure. Okay, so Costco is a bulk buy club store. You basically buy a membership. You can come in and get the deal prices. But they have a little vendor stand, food stand outside every one of them. And one thing they've had since the 80s is a deal where for a buck fifty, flat out, you get a hot dog and a cup of soda. And apparently the CEO did say, and this came out in a recent article about the chain, that when someone was saying, no, they, this these margins are insane. We're making no money on this. And he said, quote, if you, ch- if you raise the price of the hot dog, I'll effing kill you to his board. Oh, God. Yeah. Which is valid. And they're, like, not, like, small hot dogs either. They're, like, pretty big hot dogs. So, like, that's an actual decent filling meal there. Yeah. For a buck fifty, that's a great lunch. That was uh, one of the only things that my uh, sister would willingly eat as a kid. Did you have to go to Costco every time you had to feed her? (laughs) I said one of. Okay. Sometimes she would eat chicken nuggets. I don't know. The goth sister went vegetarian around that time in her life and then went back to eating meat within a year because as she would later put it it turns out that eating mac and cheese only craft macaroni and cheese is a vegetarian diet but it won't do good things for your health <laughs> <laughs> yeah no uh two of my sisters are uh pescatarian now but they also don't like to eat vegetables or fruit. No, <laughs> that's not going to end well. Yeah. Do they just, like, eat fish? And, well, and bread. Potatoes. Okay. Lots of french fries. Do you know how many potatoes and mushrooms I have eaten today? The answer is above six. <laughs> potatoes are good. Yes. And I'm Irish, so you better believe I believe that. Oh yeah, no, for sure. I too am Irish. It's the matter of, like, all of the potatoes that you should eat in your fish and potato only diet, some of them should probably not be fried. (laughs) No. Yeah. No, that's true. I I have boiled some. Boiled potatoes? Potatoes are great. You can do a lot of them. You can boil them, oven potato, great, potatoes in the oven. I believe someone once said you could uh, boil them, mash them, stick them in a stew. I don't know. I don't know what that is a reference to, but okay. It's Lord of the Rings, again. Yeah. Lord of the Rings, heavy day. Hey, remember when we were going to talk about catch a hot one, and then I mentioned Costco, and we haven't said a single word about the song. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, 
they're the one that named it. I think this is the first reference to suicide on the album. Oh, I didn't catch that. Open your veins so we can make a pool and bathe and see if anyone complains of the stain. Ah, yeah, see, I think that I didn't look at the lyrics for this one. I was just kind of listening to it in the background. But uh, yeah, well, okay, that's... Hmm. Hmm. I might have missed one, but I think that's the first. That was the first one I wrote down. It's a dark gut record. You'll have them. Oh yeah, I'm not complaining about it. I've listened to so much weirder. But, again, it took ten tracks for that to come up. It just kind of came out of the blue in the last chunk. I don't mind the song. It's a, It has, like, this very sing-alongy chorus. Like, a, it goes back to being, like, really fast. The song is, again, very fast. Lots of fast guitars on this one. There is a weird, almost new metal-y bridge. Like, this weird slow bridge with, like, very, very, like, hard guitars on it. Yeah. It feels like it's trying to be the Deftones on this track, and I think that's why I like it. That makes sense. They were friends with the Deftones at the time, I think, so it makes sense for there to be cross-pollination there. Also, I felt extremely called out when I was asked, have I turned, turned to dust, and I thought, once a week. That's good. It's like, I think this straddles very well the line between God and punk. It's like a very fast song, but still has a very sort of like eerie, spooky tone to it. Is the portmanteau uh, poth or gunk? Oh, I like gunk. <laughs> gunk is definitely a subgenre of sludge, though. Poth it is. October just started when we're recording this, and this will probably go out around Halloween, so that's, that's appropriate. Yep. Mm -hmm. They even have orange in their cover. Have we talked about the cover of this record? No. We haven't, but I did know many people who had the art of this album as a t-shirt. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I haven't researched who drew the cover, but it's like this very eerie sort of like comic book drawing of like a... Spooky. Of like a mausoleum or a cemetery with like this very shy guy looking thing, statues looking at the viewers. It's pretty neat. Really like the art of this record. Alan Forbes is credited. He is a poster artist and painter from San Francisco. Cool. I wish I hadn't looked at it closer because now the the, uh, the things in the picture look a little bit like the uh, statue things from Doctor Who, and I cannot <laughs> deal with that. Well, just don't blink. If you enjoy the artwork of a lot of Queens of the Stone Age releases, that is Alan Forbes' work. Oh, neat. And up next, we have Wester. Favorite track of the album. Incredible darkness, uh, no parents energy on this one. But still with, still with a good energy, still with like fast, good chorus, very sing-alongy chorus. Uh, good song. Yeah, there's one track that I think just completely halts trying to be a bridge between their two styles. This is not it. This still works very much for me. Yeah, I think this is the point of the record, though, when I started feeling the problem with flow 
I think Day of the Phoenix, Catch a Hot One is like such a little combination of songs that are not that good for me, that sort of just break up the flow right there for me, and that sound vaguely alike, so I wasn't coming into Western that hot. I think the song in itself is good, I think I wish Morningstar was before Webster. For what it's worth, I saw mentioned that this track, Wester, and the next one, 6 to 8, were both given out as promotional singles in some markets, but not given a nationwide push. They released an EP directly after this, and it's basically just the hits off this album. It's Days of the Phoenix, Wester, and a third track, A Winter's Tale, which probably is not anywhere near as hilariously bad as the Will Smith movie. It's a good song. Wester is a good song. Like, I like the chorus. Listening to it again. Uh, uh, I like it a lot better now that I don't have a headache. Funny how that works. <laughs> yeah. So the first time I listened to it, I, uh, I don't know. It's like, uh, this is just kind of loud. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's not the record causing you a headache, like me and the Mars Volta, I think not having a headache when you listen to a record <laughs> will be good. Yep. Well. Also, the guitar work on the back half of this track, delicious. Yeah, it's good stuff on this. Yes. And then we move to 7 to 8, which... Uh, 6 to yeah, 8. Sorry, 6 to 8, which is a... 9 to 5? <laughs> 25 or... <laughs> Six figures enter They've come to destroy the world They've called together This storm almost every night So this is another song that says 1,000 in it Are there 1,000 songs that say 1,000? Mm, probably I was quoting Chicago because I can do dad rock Sure this song doesn't sound like Dad Rock, it sounds like Tool. Tool was definitely a thing by 2000. This song vaguely sounds, sounds like Tool, and then it goes into sort of a bit of a punkier direction. Anenema was the last Tool album by this point. Uh, Lateralis comes next year. <laughs> Maynard's a piece of shit up and down my state. Gotta love it when you decide to... A make a vineyard as a passion project and then get mad when Tool fans show up trying to see you and aren't respectful of your wine. <laughs> Which, okay, that one could be okay, but then you start doing things like, ain't no Muslims gonna buy this, I threw bacon into every batch. Oh, <laughs> no. What the fuck? Yep. Yep. Uh, what a fucking piece of shit. Okay. Yeah. Luckily, his face looks like it's rotting now, so that, you know, that's probably a Frank Miller curse from a mummy. <laughs> uh, this song is good, though, 6 to 8. It's very moody, and yeah. This is a slow dirge. This is my third favorite track on the album. Yeah, this is, this is very gosh. This is very, like... Honestly, yeah. This is very, like, early Cure or whatever. A bit harder than them. Yeah, it's it's harder than The Cure tends to go, but... It almost sounds like, you know, stoner rock. It's not going as hard as something like Earth, but that's the vibe, you know, slowly lumbering, going like very slow, but with hard guitar and moving forward. Add a little more echo and this could be a Bauhaus song. Hmm, yeah. I like it. I like it. 
this definitely has some 70s metal vibes in the lyrics. Oh, yeah, they have interesting influences. And, like, in, it's interesting because this record is mostly, like, 90% of this record is fast punk. But you can hear all of this influence and you can have, like, slower tracks like this one. Uh, yeah, no, that's a, that's a very interesting record that I hadn't listened to before and I quite like. We're talking about The Despair Factor now. It has a hilarious spoken word part. My whole life is a dark room. One big dark room. This song is definitely the clunker of the back half for me. It just halts halfway in when it starts out as a pretty energetic track. It is also apparently the first time the band started playing around with synth and electronic instruments, and their fan club is named after this track. <laughs> Good trivia. I like this song. I think it's a fast song, and then it's a slow song, and then it's a fast song, and then it's a slow song. I'm into that. I really liked it also. One big dark room. And has an absolutely hilarious spoken word part that makes me like clap out loud. One dark <laughs> room. How do you clap? <laughs> in quiet how do you clap out loud you are aware of why that spoken word part is so weird right no it's a beetlejuice quote <laughs> that makes it even better i love this that's perfect and i love it that's winona Ryder griping about how you know this new house they've moved to is just oh my whole life is a dark room one big dark room Mm -hmm. But they couldn't get clearance. They were a small indie band, so he had to just quote it. I love it. They have a Tim Burton reference. This is like bingo for Hot Topic Gods. I love it. It is. I like the the part with the synth where it's just going, uh, or not the synth, but like it would do uh, deedly, deedly, like in the middle. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I, I like this track. It's fun. Yeah. This one didn't work for me. That's valid. That happens. But again, you too can join the Despair Faction if you want to be a member of AFI's fan club. I'm good. Also, I've seen Danganronpa. I don't need to join in on that. <laughs> Ooh, good thinking. Wait, is Danganronpa about AFI? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's use that to discuss... Morning Star. I saw a star beneath the stairs Glowing through the mountain wall Who will be the first to begin their I think this is low energy and a bit weak. I don't love it. I think this could have been very functional 
if it was put in between two tracks that sound sort of similar, like I mentioned before. Yeah, I think this would have flowed a little better around Wester, you're right. But yeah, it's like it's a gothy track, it's slow. I thought that listening to it was very pleasant, but uh, then there's, you know, like minutes and minutes of long silence, and after what happened last album, when there was minutes and minutes of long <laughs> silence, I was, um... It's definitely better than a prank call uh, skit, but I didn't like it. <laughs> uh, what's the bonus track? It's sort of like whoosh over me, I don't remember. It's battled. Yeah, Battled is basically just a minute-long jam session. But going back to Morningstar, I think this sort of incurs into the problem of having like a very slow, atmospheric track played by a band that doesn't... It's not, I don't know if they will do in the future, but it's not quite yet to the point where they do a lot of sonic experiments, which means that there's not a lot of interesting texture in Morningstar. I think it's, they still keep their sound very plain, even though this could have used some creative instruments, some weirder things done to it, but it's a very plain, slow, gothy track. It, it's fine. I don't. There's nothing bad about it, but there's nothing. You know, there's nothing like what we've listened to in the um, Jimmy at Ward record, right? Where they had, they they were really playful in the instrumentation. They were really playful with the effects that they used, which made for a more interesting listen on the slower tracks. This doesn't really do that. So sort of, it's not bad, but it sort of doesn't really work as an album. Yeah, I think that. The despair factor going from fast to slow goes a lot better than Morningstar not quite being the dirge of six to eight. So it's not even we went out at our lowest. It's just, um, another one? And then it's undone by the fact that it suddenly goes for a minute. Oh, can you imagine DJ Khaled and AFI collaborating? No. Okay. I just remember two of my co-workers went to see Demi Lovato and DJ Khaled was the opening act. What does he do live? Okay, so here's the thing. These are some of the normiest people I've ever known. And they both came back from the show saying, yeah, Demi Lovato was great. We bought matching t-shirts. We're going to wear them every Friday. DJ Khaled literally does nothing. He's the most energyless, lazy DJ ever. He just kept hitting samples and occasionally screamed catchphrases into a mic on the stage. He wasn't even moving around trying to hype up the crowd. <laughs> and they just, they started doing impressions just like, another one. <laughs> we the best music. DJ Khaled. And that was it. They said, those were the three things he kept repeating as he would just flick his laptop and then pretty much take a smoke break. I didn't do it. Oh, that that's not DJ Khaled, that's Bart Simpson. Never mind. <laughs> Ah! 
but yeah, this is the record. This was. What did y'all think about it? I liked it. I'm definitely way more pleasant on it now that I'm not hearing it 17 times a day. <laughs> Understandable. I like this album. I don't know if this makes uh, my top three. Uh, probably not. Probably still like... I like this better than Blink-182. I don't know if I like this better than the Mighty Mighty Bowstones. But it's a good album. It's really good. Really interesting how they mix got dark tones and like fast punk like it's really interesting to note how similar it is to the offspring but how different the mood is we mentioned that the lyrics are sort of laughably got sometimes but you know there is a space for that there is a mindset where the stuff is enjoyable and yeah it's pretty neat we would have probably liked some more sonic variants i think there's there's a lot of Again, they still have that core punk formation and they don't stray a lot from it, but, you know, it works. It's fast, it's fun, sometimes it's sad, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's a bit silly, but hmm, it's good. Hey, did you realize that there were no swears on this album whatsoever? Huh, interesting. That was a thing I just looked up in finding their next album which apparently has only one use of profanity on the album, and they avoided the parental advisory label by printing the lyric as something entirely different within the booklet because they thought that an advisory sticker would ruin the album's artwork, which, really, finding out that a straight-edge vegan former punk guy didn't want to swear a lot is just one of those things that's like, you know what, sure, this tracks. We know where AFA stands in the would say fuck meme, then. Yep. The Art of Drowning is AFI's most successful record by this point in their career. Again, we said that debuted at 174 on the Billboard chart, and it starts pushing them towards some tours where they are no longer an opening act, but headliners, Whoa. getting them onto the Warp Tour, and even dragging them across Japan. However, since we're going to see them a lot more in the future, we're not going to say too much of what comes next. Uh, it's mostly because I couldn't bother researching what comes next, but yeah, also because <laughs> we'll do that anyway in the future. But yeah, it's fine. Yeah, that was it. That was it. That was the record. Mm-hmm. And next week we'll be back with another big name breaking out. Because do you know who's coming up next? Who's coming up next? Who's coming up next? Good Charlotte or Newfound Glory because they both come out on the same day with self-titled albums. Or maybe Machine Gun Kelly, because I mentioned that, and I don't know if we want to do that. Machine Gun Kelly was not around <laughs> in 2000. I think Ellie's angling for another bonus episode. I'll do the bonus episode. If you want to throw down that gauntlet, let's throw it down on recording right now. I don't know. Uh, he came out with a pop-punk record, which is... Better than you'd fear and worse than you'd want. <laughs> I listened to it. It's called Ticket to My Downfall. The first single from it was pretty okay, and everything else from it is not that good. It has some really awful, like, skits in it. 
which I think would be interesting mileage for us. It's his first number one album on the rock charts. It's also his biggest sales week ever for the artist, according to what I found in looking up. Uh... Wow, that's three hours ago it said this. Holy shit. Producer Travis Barker. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, he collaborated with Travis Barker. All right. You know what? I'll absolutely take you on. Yeah, I'll do this next week. Same song, different chorus. So, this was Garing... no. <laughs> this was Brat Brat Brat. <laughs> uh. This was Gotta Get Out of This Town, a pop-punk anime pop retrospective. Uh, I don't have my file on, let me get my file when I write things. Oh, Lord. Okay, this was Get Out of This Town, an emo pop and pop punk or whatever, 2000 music, punk, pop punk, emo, whatever. Brap, brap, brap. You can find us at getoutofthistown.com, where we have all of our stuff. You can mail us at getoutofthistownpodcast at gmail.com if you write something. We will probably read it on air if you want. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at G-G-O-O-T-T podcast. You can find us on iTunes, on Spotify, or Google Play. And if you go on iTunes specifically, you can try and rate and review us. Do it. Please. Do it. Do what Adam says. He's smart. Um, yeah, next up, apparently we're going to talk about Machine Gun Kelly Ticket to My Downfall in a bonus episode. I don't know why we call them bonus episodes, because they don't come in addition to a weekly episode. It's just, like, separate. I don't know what the terms are for. They're bonuses because they're a uh, 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 breath of different air after so much pop punk. I like how you refrained from saying fresh. <laughs> I mean, this one's fresher than the last couple, which have still been somewhat contemporary. Hey, just while we're on this and so I'm not burning things from next week's cast but this is a stupid thing I've already found in research did you know Travis Barker released a memoir oh yeah oh how'd that go the title of this is definitely one of the dumber musician books I've ever heard and that's saying something no can I say living large cheating death and drums 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 that's pretty bad hmm yeah Rap, rap, rap. The braps are drums. <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you need to plug anything, Fletch, aside from Travis Barker memoir? Nope. You can find all of my projects ongoing and where to find me at hellscaper.com. Do you need to plug anything, Adam? No, people are not allowed to find me. Okay. Uh, and you can find me, as always, at ACC the Moon on Twitter. And we do not have a Patreon. But I do have blood, so if you're a vampire, like, I'm offering cheap rates. <laughs> Ellie the vampires, suck me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good night, everyone. This was a hard episode to get through. Not for the record, but for everything else. <sighs> Goodbye. Bye. It's the chaos month. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Destruction, chaos, pain. The end of the world as we know it. 
This is this is my time to shine, baby. Well, you see, I was at the first Warp Tour, back when they didn't have words like warped. It was just the rad gathering. It was actually an anti-nukes protest at the time, in the 60s, and... This is actually much funnier if you read it in Ringo Star Voice. Let it begin, make me invincible. There was a weeping. Deep within divinity, let's start another secret show.
But but if I'm not if I'm transitioning to the next song and you're not transitioning to the next song, who's driving the plane? Wait a minute. Penguins can't drive a plane. Penguins can't fly. <laughs>